sitting here with Wes Treadway. We have a chance to talk again uh, about some of the content I'm working on on my book on heaven, Heavenly Memories. So I'm excited to be with you, Wes, again for a second week. Yeah, and we're really looking forward to the time. I know last week we had mentioned that uh, we'd possibly have kind of an interactive element, but we found out that uh, due to some changes in the schedule, we won't have electricity in the building on Wednesday. And so that poses some problems just logistically as far as doing a live stream and getting your questions. So we do hope to do that, Lord willing, uh, in weeks to come. But for this week, we're going to continue in this pre-recorded format, but also look forward to just spending the time reflecting on our heavenly home, particularly in these times. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting study. Uh, the more I study about heaven, the more excited I get. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're all just uh, reading scripture and we're meditating on scripture. And it's amazing how the Apostle Paul at the end of 1 Corinthians 13 says, we're seeing through a glass darkly or looking mm-hmm. indistinctly. And that's just by exegesis, by reading nouns and verbs and adjectives, reading the Bible. And that's good enough. And it feeds our faith, the eyesight of our souls. We can see some things, but the reality is going to be so much better to actually be there. It's going to be so wonderful. So our purpose is to just fill our hearts with the scripture and with truth and with faith so that we can be evidently, I mean, obviously filled with hope. And especially in these days of COVID-19, how much do our neighbors and our family and everybody need to see Christians filled with hope? Absolutely. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at uh, more scripture supporting uh, these thoughts and ideas about heaven. But before we do that, Andy, I'd love, last week we talked a little bit uh, about just kind of the premise of your book. And I wonder if you can remind us of that. Yeah. Uh, just review a little bit, uh, maybe a brief overview of the premise of your book. Yeah. So the premise of my book is that heaven is going to be an experience of God's glory. It's going to be illuminated with the glory of God. That comes right from Revelation 21 and 22, but also from the centerpiece of all of Christian theology is that God created the universe for his own glory, to put himself on display. Mm. We defined the glory of God last time as the radiant display of the attributes of God. Attributes are descriptions of God. What kind of God is he? What is he like? His omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his love, his compassion. All of these attributes are put on display in creation, but also in history, in the unfolding of redemptive history. And so especially in how God has worked through Christ in redeeming a countless multitude of every from every tribe, language, people, and nation, of sinners from each of those groups, that brings glory to God. And so the premise of my book is that God will not have his glory go to waste by being forgotten. That we are actually going to remember in heaven what God did in the past, what we did in the past. We will have a backward look, an eternally glorious backward look at what God did in this world to, for the praise of his glory. So that's what my book's about. Love it. And as you've talked about developing these themes, and we mentioned last week, kind of that Romans 4 test, what do the scriptures say? And so, as we mentioned tonight, we want to answer that question. What do the scriptures say? So I wonder if, as we kind of dive in here, if we can just take a a more comprehensive Mm -hmm. look at the scriptural support for this premise and uh, how we will remember our heavenly lives. Absolutely. That is vital for us to do. We're going to base our our thoughts about heaven on Scripture. We're going to try, try to exegete Scripture. And the more you start to look at this angle, uh, will we remember our earthly lives in heaven? Mm. And then you start to piece things together. You know what to look for. It starts to unfold. There's actually a lot of scriptural evidence in this area. And so I want to begin with the proof that Jesus gave that there is resurrection from the dead at all. 
You remember how the Sadducees came to him and they do not believe in the resurrection and Jesus uh, challenged them about their doctrine uh, concerning the resurrection. They said, about the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what God says to you? Interesting. In the account about the burning bush. God is speaking to all of us mm. in the account of the burning bush. And what did he say to uh, Moses? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. He said, you're in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. So there's more about heaven than we think there is in the Bible. So let me try to unpack Jesus' proof of the resurrection. He is saying, effectively, it all comes down to the verb tense, I am, right now, Abraham's God. I am Abraham's God, and right now I am Isaac's God, and right now I am Jacob's God. That means that Abraham exists right now, mm. even though he's dead. Yeah. And Isaac exists right now, even though he's dead. And Jacob exists right now, even though he's dead. But here's my point. They exist as such. Abraham exists as the Abraham who did X, Y, and Z. Isaac exists as the Isaac we read about in the Bible, the one who did those things. And Jacob exists as the one who did those things as recorded in the Bible, and then many things that were not recorded in the Bible. That Abraham, that Isaac, that Jacob, he is their God. So therefore, they must retain their history, their memory. We also saw last week, and we talked about this, Jesus said in Matthew 8 and verse 11, mm -hmm. many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham as such, Isaac as such, and Jacob as such. And so expand that. We'll sit with David. We'll sit with Daniel, with Ezekiel, we'll, all these heroes and heroines, uh, great women and men of the Bible, and we will get to know them. So that's first scriptural proof. Wow, I love that. And I think it just helps us understand more about what it will be like uh, to be known and mm -hmm. to know. We talk mm -hmm. about that in the life of the church, to know yeah. and be known and how that matters now, but how much more mm -hmm. on an eternal level to be known by the living God mm -hmm. and identified with our stories, with our, our past. So, Yeah, and it may, it'll make heavenly fellowship so rich too. It, not only will the memories be possible, but me our memories will be perfect and enhanced. So we're not going to forget things. So we could say to Abraham, tell me what you were thinking when you walked up Mount Moriah with your son. And he said, Father, here's the wood and here's the fire, but where's the sacrifice? Mm -hmm. And you said, God will provide a sacrifice. And how it says in the book of Hebrews, how you reasoned that God could raise the dead. And, and just talk about that. And he won't say, you know, actually, I have no memory of that. No, he'll remember. And so how rich then will that fellowship be? And then go to the heroes and heroines of missions or the ones that stood up to the, the tyranny of the Romans or of the Nazis and say, what was that like? The Ten Boom family, when they were hiding Jews in the hiding place, what did you feel? What was that like? And, and all that fellowship would be so rich and powerful in that sense. And even an accurate memory of, of our own lives. I, we were talking just mm -hmm. a few moments ago. I, I think of my own memory and how fallible it is even to remember the yeah. things that I'm aware of that God has done yeah. uh, in my life. It's awesome. Um, it really ready is. for that to be perfected. So yeah. what, what's another uh, scriptural support? Oh. Uh, where, where would we go next? Yeah, I, I like to think about the covenant promise made to Abraham. Do you remember the, the, the squabbling that happened between Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen and there, there wasn't enough pasture land for all of their flocks mm. and so they divided. Abraham said to his nephew Lot, choose where you go. If you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. And so that whole thing's in, in Genesis 13. And so a, uh, Lot tragically went down to Sodom and Gomorrah and settled there and we found out what happened with him later. 
Uh, but there, Abraham is standing alone. Uh, his name was Abram at that point, And God said to him, spoke to him, Do you see this land that you're standing on? You know, travel about on it, north, south, east, and west, everywhere you walk and where, where you see. This land I will give to you, singular, and to your offspring forever. Hmm. But we know from the book of Hebrews, he never received it. He was an alien and a stranger there. Yeah. He never received any ground at all, as Stephen said. He died not having received the promise. The book of Hebrews tells us that. So there's this big covenantal IOU. It never happened. Hmm. And so God is faithful. And the way I understand this unfulfilled promise is that it will be given to Abraham and to his seed, including us, we are Abraham's offspring, uh, in the new earth. So the new earth must be the same earth, only better. That's why I teach a resurrected earth. Just like Abraham's the same Abraham, only better, yeah. a resurrected Abraham. And so that means there must be a memory of that covenant promise that was as yet unfulfilled, but now it's been fulfilled. So God will be vindicated when Abraham comes into his inheritance. Remember, Jesus also said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So there is this, this memory that makes all of that so rich and full. God kept his promise to us. Mm, and the faithfulness of God on display yep. there, not in this life only, but for all eternity to yep. keep his promises. That's so the fact that the land was promised to Abraham must be remembered for God to be vindicated as a covenant keeper. Hmm. Now, are there other things that uh, perhaps are, are promised now that we maybe see in uh, the next life? I think there's a passage in Ephesians hmm. that we've talked about that oh, yeah. is just a, an incredible encouragement hmm. as we think about how God displays His hmm. grace. Where, where where might we look for Ephesians for like 2.7, one of my favorite ones, Ephesians 2.6 and 7 says, God hmm. raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that, listen to this, in the coming ages, that's heaven, dear friends, he might show, that's an important word for a future teaching I'm going to give, that God will be showing and not merely telling in heaven, in order that in the future ages, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So God for all eternity will show us how much grace he gave us in Christ. Now grace always has to do with sin. It always has to do with sin. So God will show us in the coming ages how amazing was his grace to take John Newton's words. Mm. Let's, let's take John Newton's case. John Newton was a slave trader and a profligate, uh, wicked, immoral man before he was converted. And then his life was spared, amazingly, in a storm. Another sailor went to take his place where the captain had told him to go. And he was washed overboard. Newton was saved because he went to get some knife or some other thing for the captain. Mm. And he knew, he knew that that other man died where he would have stood, washed overboard by a wave. He never forgot that. And he remembered forever the amazing grace that God showed to him as, as a wretch, who saved a wretch like me. Well, for us to realize how much of a wretch we really were and, and how much sin we've committed. David said, my sins are more numerous than the hairs of my head. And so forever we will be able to celebrate God's grace. Now this goes right into the wheelhouse of people saying, now wait a minute, I don't want to remember all of our sins. And I understand that. Believe me, I do. I do not believe we will have any shame in heaven. We'll have memory but no shame because it says there will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. So we'll have memory but only so that we might be able to celebrate God's amazing grace. 
And the funny thing is, we don't mind remembering other famous people's sins. Like I just shared very easily the story of John Newton. What a wicked man he was. Mm. Doesn't bother me. I'm not him. <laughs> All right. But what I believe is, and we'll talk more about this in the future, God willing, but I believe we'll realize we're not that person either. We're not ourselves anymore. We have become entirely new creations in heaven. We will be done with all sin. So we'll be able to tell the story with a certain dispatch, a certain distance and saying, that's who I was, but it's not who I am. Mm. And so forever, we're going to be able to celebrate how much grace God showed, not just to us, but to a multitude greater than anyone could count from every tribe, language, people, and nation. That's a lot of sin. And God covered it all by the blood of Christ. So Christ gets the glory for that amazing atonement. Yeah, and this, the same passage continues on talking about the grace of God, right? In yeah. verse 8 of chapter 2, it talks about us being saved by grace. That's right. And in verse 10, it talks about us doing good works that we were created beforehand in Christ Jesus to do for the glory of God. So yeah. we've been given good works to do. The Bible talks about the outcome mm -hmm. of these good works. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about uh, maybe this idea of rewards yeah. and where in Scripture we see that and how that relates to our, mm -hmm. our heavenly life. We mentioned this last time. Rewards is one of my strongest evidences that we'll remember in heaven our earthly lives because rewards, like the Congressional Medal of Honor, mm. mean nothing if there's no story. I actually have this little couplet. I don't know if I'll use it in the book or not because it's kind of clever and seems a little <laughs> gimmicky. But if there's no story, there's no glory. Mm. And so there has to be an account. There has to be a story of a soldier on the battlefield showing valor, uncommon valor, mm. uh, astonishing levels of courage, uh, high levels of self-sacrifice. That's what the Congressional Medal of Honor is given for, and you can go on websites and read some of these incredible stories. Movies have been made, like about that medic, um, his name was Doss, uh, who saved so many people in the uh, Battle of, uh, I think, Okinawa. And there's a whole, a whole movie made about it. But the story is a glorious, amazing story. Mm. Well, so also rewards are always tied to something that God wants to honor, that God wants to celebrate. It says in John 12, 24, my father will honor the mm. one who serves me. So in order for the honor to mean anything, there has to be a memory of what was done. So you talk about martyrs, those that lay down their lives. Jesus said, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. So rewards are God's honoring, God's esteeming, God's praise given to a creature, given to a person. And such as when he says concerning Job, have you considered my servant Job? What he said to Satan. But now he's going to say that about each other to each other. Have you considered my servant Wes? Let's talk about the things that he did that are mm. worthy of honor. And some people will be worthy of more honor than others. I, I believe that with all my heart. We'll not all be equally glorious in heaven. We'll be perfectly pure and glorious, but not equally. Star differs from star in glory. Some stars are very big and bright. Others are smaller. And I understand that. But in heaven, all stars, all people uh, will be shining with the glory of God. And we will, we will radiate. And so rewards will be part of the ways that we will radiate with the glory of God. There will be certain things that people did in this life that showed courage, showed self-sacrifice. Um, it put God on display in remarkable ways. And those rewards are going to be something we're going to celebrate for all eternity. So there's a lot of verses about rewards. You go to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus talks about be careful not to do your acts of, acts of righteousness before others. Uh, if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. But when you give to the needy, don't you let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your heavenly Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Mm. So we should want the rewards. We should look forward to them. We should want to store up treasure in heaven, as he says in Matthew 6. 
So rewards are very clear evidence that we'll remember in heaven our earthly lives. Hmm. And I, I think that's so clearly tied to grace as well, you know, mm-hmm. talking about this kind of circle where the Lord gives grace so that we can then mm-hmm. do the good works and just this constant cycle of mm-hmm. Him giving us grace and then us glorifying Him yeah. uh, as we respond in obedience to His Word. And that's, again, going to be rich fellowship. We're going to go horizontal and honor a brother or sister. Hmm. We're going to honor them. And that's not worship, but it's similar. to We're going to esteem what they did hmm. and celebrate it. Just like um, Paul says about Epaphroditus in Mm -hmm. Philippians chapter 2, honor men like him. There's a certain horizontal honoring that's very appropriate. We're not going to worship each other, but we're going to see the value of a godly mother who gave her life uh, day after day for her children. I don't mean that she died for them, but just poured out her life into her kids. Nobody really saw what she did, but we get to honor and celebrate the way she sacrificed for her children and give her appropriate honor. Like it says at the end of Proverbs 31, give her her reward at the gates and let her her works uh, produce honor for her so that we would give her the honor that she deserves for being a godly wife and mother. Hmm. So as we continue to support this premise from Scripture, what would be what would be the next kind of scriptural support you'd offer here? Probably more than anything, we're going to want to celebrate and focus on the works of Christ. Hmm. We want to give Him the glory and the honor for what He did, Hmm. especially His death on the cross and His resurrection. And so, you know, it depicts in the book of Revelation that Jesus is uh, a lamb looking as if it had been slain. We know that after His resurrection, in the upper room, He showed His disciples, and then a week later, all of His disciples and Thomas, His wounds in His hands and His side. And so you look at that and you're saying, for some reason, Jesus decided to retain the evidences of his death on the cross. Mm. And so whether we can still see them in heaven now or not, we would imagine that we could, but it doesn't matter. We will definitely have a memory that he died for our sins, Mm. that he shed his blood on the cross. And so we're going to be able to, for all eternity, celebrate the past actions of Jesus. So in order to remember the past actions of Jesus, his miraculous healings, his amazing teachings, where he said, as we mentioned last time, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. We'll remember them. But especially his substitutionary death on the cross, all of that comes in a context. Hmm. He was uh, crucified outside the gates, the author of Hebrews tells us. So he was despised and rejected by people. Some people hated him and then were later converted to love him. Even Jesus' own, um, the ones that crucified him, I think, are in heaven, the centurion at least, who actually literally nailed our Savior to the cross. I believe Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, referring to him. And he looks up and he says, truly, this man was a son of God. I imagine that the centurion who nailed Jesus to the cross is up in heaven. Mm. So we're going to remember the actual actions of Jesus, our Savior. But then there's a context around that. So we have to remember the lepers that are, were, were cleansed. The centurion who crucified him, other we have to remember all of that. So that's a gateway or a portal into a whole memory of the life of Jesus and all that he did for us and uh, on our behalf. You think of those evidences, I was just reading today in the book of John, mm-hmm. uh, thinking about what the evidences of Jesus' suffering produced in Thomas. Mm-hmm. And you've talked about this passage before, his response yeah. to say, my Lord and my God. That's right. Just to remember mm-hmm. what Christ has done, even yeah. in this life for Thomas, but then I think yeah. what that will produce in us as we remember and recount Christ's work. I think so, and I think we're just going to give him the praise and the glory and honor. He's going to be exalted above all uh, all names mm. and for all eternity. So, you know, you, you've talked about this a lot, uh, the essence of being a worship leader. There's this rhythm of revelation and response, That's revelation right. and response. 
But why wouldn't there be also, to some degree, an <laughs> unveiling or revealing in heaven? We're not ever going to be omniscient. We talked about this last time. We're going to yeah. learn new things. And so when we learn something new, more worship, more praise, mm. just fresh effusions. And we see that, don't we, in the, um, the 24 elders. Mm -hmm. It says, whenever they fall down and give thanks, they cast their crowns and sing. So there's this whenever aspect. Mm -hmm. There's rhythms of worship up in heaven. It's not static. Yeah. And so new things come up. It's like, oh, and they praise God and fresh effusions of praise. So every brother or sister in Christ whose case study is unfolded for us, we never knew this person before, some person who lived in the 14th century or whatever, mm. find out a sister or brother, there's more reasons to praise Jesus, more reason to praise God. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Yeah, and you've talked about kind of that dynamic nature of heaven. I think that that's mm -hmm. got to be a part of it, right? That as we learn more, there's mm -hmm. just this constant activity around praising God for His works. Yeah. And I love that. I think that just helps. You talked last week about some of the misconceptions about heaven mm -hmm. and how this really does help us to put those to rest and think, no, it won't just be floating on a cloud or doing nothing or just mindlessly Static. being Static, there. really. Praise God, praise God. No, no, it's like, hmm. learn something new, wow, Worship praise God. God. Yeah, it's so awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And this is, this is a consistent theme mm -hmm. throughout Scripture as well. This yeah. happens in the Old Testament, uh, yeah. in the book of Psalms. Talk a little bit about sure. how we see that in the Psalms. There are many Psalms that base their whole, the whole reason for worship on the mighty works of the Lord. Hmm. Come and see what the Lord has done. So I don't have them memorized, but let me just read a few of them. Yeah. Psalm 150, verse 1 and 2. Listen to this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. There we go. We're up in the heavenly realms. Praise Him for what? Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Right? There it is. Hmm. Praise Him for His, according to His excellent greatness. So we see in that psalm, we're going to praise Him for how glorious He just is. But we're also going to praise Him for the mighty deeds that He has done. Well, the only way we can do that is to look back at what He did. Mm -hmm. We have to be able to remember His mighty deeds. So why would that stop? In every generation here in redemptive history, you're supposed to look back at the Red Sea crossing or look back at the time of David and Goliath and then what God worked through His servant David or to look back on the miracles uh, that, that Elijah did, calling down fire from heaven or that Elisha did, the different works that he did. I mean, we, all of these are reasons to praise God. Why would that be cut off once we get to heaven. We're going to forget all of that now. It's all a new thing. Mm. No, we're going to be able to look back and praise him for his mighty deeds and according to his excellent greatness. So many Psalms. Uh, I love Psalm 111. Why don't you read that one, one through four? Yeah. It says, praise the Lord. I will extol, extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. Mm -hmm. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. So Psalm 111, it actually, the word pondered uh, is translated in another place, studied. Hmm. So we're going to be students of God's glorious history in heaven. Hmm. Students of history. And I know you're saying, Pastor, you're only saying this because <laughs> history is your thing. It's your hobby. You love it. I mean, look, I understand a lot of history. When you think about like timelines and names and dates, boring. <laughs> well, heaven will not be boring. And, and we shouldn't be bored about anything in God's mm. creation. But, but to study his great works. 
means there's aspects to it we didn't fully understand. And then this gets put together with this. This individual, do you understand who Saul of Tarsus is? Do you know what his history is? Do you not understand then what happened on the road to Damascus? Why that's so amazing? It's like, now I get it. To be able to see how strong a character Saul of Tarsus really was, how filled with hatred toward mm -hmm. Christ he was, and how in an instant that all changed. You gotta have the backstory to see the glory. And so you look at that, it's like God's mighty works are pondered and studied, and then we get it. And then it says, he has caused his wonders to be remembered. And so again, Psalm 111, one through four, just look at it, friends. I'm just saying, how can that not happen in heaven? We're gonna to get to heaven. We're, he's gonna cause his wonders to be remembered, and we're gonna ponder them and study them and give him glory. Hmm. You know, Andy, one of the things, uh, really the, the final thing that Jesus commanded us to do was go and make disciples, right? To to take the good news of the gospel yeah. to the ends of the earth. Yeah. And that idea of the ends of the earth brings with it some particular connotations about who will make up those in heaven. I yeah. wonder if you could talk a little bit about how that relates to our understanding of those who are there and then also the story that led to that point. Yeah. So what we're doing tonight is we're just going through scriptural evidence that the basic premise of my book is true. All right, it'd be bad for me to write a book. The basic premise is false. So that'd be a, a waste of time. But I just think the more you look at these scriptures, you're like, man, this is, this is true. And what's also cool is the more you start to actually look at the details, a world starts to open up to you. It mm. starts to get actually unfolded. It's like, wow, I'm going to start to, I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to meeting the brothers and sisters. Well, there's more scriptural evidence in Revelation 7. Revelation 7 is one of these great chapters. And if you're, if you're, um, passionate about missions, which all of you should be, but if you really care about the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth, Revelation 7 and verse 9 gives us the consummation of all that. Mm. And there John has a vision of a multitude greater than anyone could count from every tribe, language, people, and nation standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, and they're wearing white robes and they're holding palm branches in their hands, and they're saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So there's this great heavenly worship going on, and it's incredible. Well, right in those verses, right there, is proof of the basic premise of my book. They're up in heaven, they're wearing white robes, they're there, they're, they're celebrating the glory of God and the salvation of God and of Christ, but they're, we're told that they're from every tribe, language, people, and nation. So there's a string attached hmm. back to their, their origins, their, their geographic place of origin, their cultural origin, their amoral diversity is still there and it's known in heaven. Hmm. So that's proof that we will be aware of their stories. And there's even more proof a few verses later. Because one of the elders comes up to the Apostle John and asks him a question about this multitude from every tribe, language, people, and nation. He says, who are they and where do they come from? Stop right there. That, the answer to that is the very premise of my book. It's what the whole book is about. Where did all the redeemed come from? How did they get here? Mm. What is their story? And so the very reason that that question is being asked shows it's a valid question to ask. And John punts, he says, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have the answer, you, you tell me. And he says, these are the ones that came out of the great tribulation who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Mm. So their suffering is remembered mm -hmm. and their sins having been cleansed by the atoning work of Christ is remembered. 
their robes were washed. They washed them and made them white through faith in the blood of the Lamb. So their past sufferings, their past sins are remembered and covered and to the glory of God. And their amoral diversity, their origins, their stories, all of them will be right down Main Street, the center of what will celebrate God's redemptive glory in saving them. It's hmm. awesome. It's a beautiful picture. Yeah. What would be a couple more scriptural supports, proofs for uh, this this premise for your book? Okay, uh, another one is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Uh, there's so many uh, verses that 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 tell us to, that we should thank God. Psalm 103, two and three says, "Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits." who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Let me, let me tell you a thought that I, I was going to preach this on Sunday, but I chose not to, but I'm going to say it now. Mm. God's track record of healing is overwhelming and amazing. Think of it this way. Not counting minor illnesses that you could have that didn't kill you, but you had them when you died. All right, so this would be art rheumatoid arthritis, or it's not fatal, it's just painful, etc. But not counting that, God heals every disease you ever face in your entire life except the one that killed you, the one that took you out. So in an average life of 80 years, how many illnesses did you recover from? Do you think, think about it. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm saying he cured you of probably hundreds sure. of maladies, mm -hmm. and you're just one person, one lifetime. God is a healer, overwhelmingly a healer. Question is, how many times do we remember to thank him mm. and go back. You know, I had a cold last week and now I feel better. Thank you, Lord, for healing me. Yeah. I had a stomach virus. Thank you. I had acute appendicitis. My appendix burst on the operating table. If it hadn't been for, for um, you know, antibiotics with the internal infection, I was in the hospital for a week. Um, I'd be dead right now. Yeah. God healed me of appendicitis. And so here's the thing. It says, praise the Lord and forget not all his benefits. I think, brother, we've forgotten most oh, of his benefits. Goodness. We have not mm. circled back. You remember the 10 lepers? Jesus healed the 10 lepers. Mm -hmm. How many came back and gave thanks? One. one. Do you think we actually give thanks to God for 10% of the blessings he's given us in our lifetime? Based on my comment about my memory <laughs> at the beginning of this time, probably not even that because no. my memory is so fallible. So don't you want the chance of redo on that one? to go back one more time and look at your life and say, well, God, I realize I never really thanked you for mm. that. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Jesus highlighted, said, where are the other nine? The other times you should have given me thanks. Where did they, where, where is the thanksgiving? Well, isn't it nice to get a redo on that and be able to go up to, up to heaven and thank him? Think of it this way. Is there thanksgiving in heaven? And the answer is, if the answer is yes, is it only for the new things that God does in heaven or are there things we can thank him for back in our lives? Thank you for giving me this kind of a mother or this kind of a friend or this kind of a spouse. Mm. I want to give you one more, okay? And it's not listed on the page here, yeah. but I think this is the answer to all of the sadness of the book of Ecclesiastes. Mm. Now, let's talk about that. What do you think about, about the book of Ecclesiastes? Well, we had a chance... Uh, some of you may have even been in the Ecclesiastes class that we had a, a little while back. And as you reflect on it, I was just struck by the seeming hopelessness, mm -hmm. right? This, this phrase over and over again that shows up, vanity of vanities or, or, mm -hmm. or meaningless. This, this mm -hmm. sense that like, is life really anything besides a mist or a vapor or something that's yeah. fleeting and forgotten? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's kind of a dismal book at first read. It is, it's very dismal. 
It's like you want to put an armor on Solomon and say, <laughs> cheer up, brother. Better days are it's yet to come. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, because you look at it, it's like, what's the point in doing anything? All right. I did great projects, built great cities, mm. did all that. But who knows who I'm going to give it to? Yeah. I might give it to him. He might be a wise man or he might be a fool. And then what about him? Suppose he is a wise man. He's a good steward of what I built. But he hands it off to his son, my grandson. Who knows if he's going to be a wise man or a fool? At some point, it's all going back into dust. Mm. Well, that's just the depression of the book of, of Ecclesiastes. And it's a very powerful and wise book inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I think basically the interpretive key to the book of, of, um, of Ecclesiastes is if there is no resurrection from the dead, then life really is empty, meaningless, and vain. Mm. If there is no resurrection. It, it's vanity of vanities. Everything goes back to the grave. It goes back to dust. Mm. But if there is a resurrection from the dead, as Paul says, which there is in 1 Corinthians 15, then our labor in the Lord is not vanity. It's not in vain. It actually is worthwhile. And so we're able to circle back on all of the sadness of the book of, of Ecclesiastes and say, well, I know that in heaven our works are going to be celebrated. In heaven, anything done by faith, anything done for the glory of God, anything done with a loving demeanor, as we learned from 1 Corinthians 13, we've got to have a heart of love. Anything done that meets those three criteria, Anything that, that's done by faith for the glory of God and done with a loving demeanor will stand for all eternity. That's, again, into the doctrine of rewards. Mm. But it's not in vain. And so, therefore, let's do a lot of them. Let's be filled with hope. Let's, let's let our labor in the Lord uh, be redoubled and redoubled again. Isn't that what Paul says in 1 yeah. Corinthians 15? Never be lacking in your labor for the Lord. Re abounding. abounding in mm. it. Because we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why? Because it's not going to end up empty and meaningless. One other image uh, from this comes in the, in the book of uh, Daniel as Nebuchadnezzar has the dream of the statue mm -hmm. with the head of gold and the chest and arms of silver and the belly and thighs of bronze and the legs of iron and the feet partly iron, partly clay. They represent four um, empires, one after the other, and there's all kinds of interpretations about the feet uh, mm. mixed partly iron, partly clay and all that. But you got all that. But the whole thing represents godless achievement. And then there's this rock cut out, but not by human hands. It strikes the statue on the feet of clay. And the whole thing becomes a pile of shrapnel. Mm. It becomes chaff on a threshing floor. And the wind blows it away without leaving a trace. That's vanity of vanities. But the rock became this huge mountain that filled the whole earth. That, that the rock is Christ and his kingdom. What Paul's saying is our labor in the Lord is part of that rock that becomes glorious. It part, it's part of Christ and his kingdom. Mm -hmm. It's the works of Christ in and through us. Our labor in the Lord is not in vain. But everything that's not done for Christ will be blown away like chaff. Mm -hmm. So that is the answer to the depressing refrain of the book of Ecclesiastes. Our labor, you know, the, the, you know, Solomon says, look, what's the point in doing anything? Everybody's going to die, and within a few generations, no one will even know your name. Won't even know that you were ever alive. Mm. That's actually true. But heaven will remember. Wow. And so, therefore, don't worry if you're not famous. Don't worry if you're not, if you're obscure. Most of us are obscure. Uh, within three or four generations, the Lord doesn't return. We'll all be forgotten. But in heaven, we'll be remembered. Mm. What an incredible encouragement. Our mm -hmm. labor in the Lord 
is not in vain. Mm -hmm. Andy, I know that as we reflect on these things, it's encouraging to our own hearts mm -hmm. uh, in this time. Mm -hmm. I wonder, too, as we think about our labor in the Lord not being in vain, what right now, how, how could that right now affect even just our own perspective mm -hmm. on how we spend our days, how we spend sure. our time. As we look at Scripture and we say, based on what we see in the Word, mm -hmm. based on the truth that God has revealed to us, yeah. if this is the case, how then should we live? What bearing should this have mm -hmm. on our lives as we reflect on these truths? Well, we have to redeem the time because the days are evil. I think every day, uh, it's kind of like that story about Rumpelstiltskin where the miller's daughter, he boasted about her, she could spin straw into gold. Mm. And she had no such ability, but Rumpelstiltskin, this weird guy. Let me tell you, those those children's stories are creepy Odd. weird. Odd. I don't I don't know where they came. I mean, he wanted her firstborn. Remember Rumpelstiltskin? Yes. I mean, it's a total <laughs> it's creep show. I, who wrote these stories? But um, at any rate, this Rumpelstiltskin character has the ability to spin straw into gold. Mm -hmm. And so, for all the creepiness, it's an image that stuck with me because of First Corinthians three, which talks about all of our works basically being brought into the categories of gold, silver, costly stones. Uh, those things that survive the fires of Judgment Day, and wood, hay, and straw, those things that do not. Mm. I think every day begins effectively straw, and you have to spin it into gold. And so everything you do can either last for all eternity, or it will end up straw on Judgment Day. Mm. It has to do with the attitude, the demeanor um, that you have. So you can wash dishes to the glory of God, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, you can do it for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. So you can eat for the glory of God and it will end up gold or silver or costly stones that will survive because you are so filled with thankfulness and you're having dinner with you know, with Annie, your wife, and with your kids when God blesses you and I can have with my kids and, and we can just talk about the glory of God. We can we can redeem the time or we can bicker, mm -hmm. we, can, we can quarrel mm -hmm. uh, and then it's straw, it'll get burned. And so for me, how it causes me is like, I want to store up as much treasure as possible by how I live my life. But there is also gold, then there's silver, then there's costly stones. Those are of different value. Mm -hmm. So things survive Judgment Day, but, but maintain different levels of value. So you want to go for the, the most precious stones you can go for. So people that commit themselves to go overseas as missionaries, they make big decisions. They, they, they turn their backs on a lot of earthly blessings to go live in some poor part of the world. They have chosen a better path. Mm. You see what I'm saying? They've chosen higher levels of reward by their level of sacrifice. Not all of us are called to be cross-cultural missionaries, but we can make significant choices in our lives that set ourselves up for greater heavenly rewards by the level of sacrifice it calls from us. So I think it just it, it says, even in the little things, let's do it for the glory of God, let's do it mindful of God, and it will be not straw, but something valuable. But then beyond that, let's make some key life choices that cause us to sacrifice more for the kingdom so that we can be more... Uh, glorious and more rewarded, and ultimately God gets all the glory in heaven mm. by how we lived. And I think even for myself, it's helped me as as you've uh, reflected on these things, and then I've had the chance to engage mm. in conversations, and we've talked about this. It's helped me just to think through how grace is just overflowing each day. And you know that passage in Ephesians, thinking about one day mm -hmm. when the Lord will display fully the mm. grace that he poured out on us. It, mm. it just makes me want to be more mindful of that now, like mm. to not wait till then. I know mm -hmm. we'll have a better ability <laughs> to yeah. understand and comprehend all that mm -hmm. uh, in heaven. But even today to say like, Lord, help me remember today what Christ has done. Help That's me right. to remember today that you've 
save me by your grace for good works yeah. and, and help me to see what those are and to be faithful to walk in them. Let me show you with the one insight that came to me from meditating on, on Jonathan Edwards' Heaven is a World of Love, which is the final lecture in his series of lectures or sermons from 1 Corinthians 13, where he talks about now we see through a glass darkly, then mm. face to face, you know, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. In Heaven is a World of Love, he talks about how we will be completely set free from selfishness, and we will be able to give proper esteem from free hearts to mm. our brothers and sisters for what they did. There'll be no jealousy. So even those that are more glorious than us will not create in us a sense of jealousy. Neither on the other end will they have any arrogance toward us or feel superior to us. Because the closer you get to God, the more humble you are actually to some degree. You, you have a greater sense of humility mm. and, and they're more amiable and more attractive and more, you know, et cetera. So there's no jealousy up and down the scale. What that's done is it's made me, it's set me free from being jealous about any other pastor on their si on the size of their church or any other honors or rewards that are given to others. When one part of the body is honored, Paul says the whole body is honored mm. with it. So it sets us free from meism, selfishness. The more you meditate on this, the more f free you get set. At that point, you're like, wow, anything that any brother or sister does for the glory of God. I'm part of that same body. Also, then it enables me in my teaching ministry as a pastor, I want you to be as rich as you possibly can be on Judgment Day. Mm -hmm. I think these teachings will help you do that. Yeah. The more you learn about heaven, the more ambitious you're going to do to be to do good works. Yeah. If some angel came and told me and said, by the way, if you teach Wes these things, he's going to actually have more rewards than you on Judgment Day. Do you think I would say to the angel, well, then I'm not going to teach him, you know? <laughs> I'm, I'm not, not going to hold back. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm actually in the mm. business of trying to make everyone who hears me as rich as they possibly can be <laughs> on Judgment Day. That's my job. I'm yeah. like an eternal re retirement financial planner, <laughs> only for heaven. I want you to be as rich mm. as you possibly can be. So it's just so freeing, mm. these heavenly teachings. Yeah, and we get to do that with one another as a part of the body of Christ. We get to encourage each other to that end as well, saying, I hope that I get to celebrate with you what God did, how rich you are in good works. And we yeah. get to celebrate, we will get to celebrate that uh, one day in heaven. Yeah. And we can do it now. Yeah. I mean, that's the way we can encourage one another now. We can see God at work in someone else's life and say, your ministry is a huge blessing mm -hmm. to so many. And you're just set free from yourself to be able to be richly encouraging now. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And by the way, if you do that, you'll get rewarded for that in heaven too. It just never that's ends. Good. It's pretty awesome. That's good. Andy, any final thoughts as we kind of wrap up our time this sure. evening yeah. uh, and reflect on these things? I just think, wow, this is such an exciting study. I can't wait till next week. I have no idea where, where we're going to go. Well, I have some ideas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've written chapter outline, so I have some ideas. But it's going to be great. So I guess what I'm saying is even in the midst of the COVID-19 shutdowns, mm -hmm. let's redeem the time. Let's not mm -hmm. waste the time. Let's spend more time in prayer. Let's encourage one another in our family units mm -hmm. uh, electronically. Let's make some phone calls. Let's uh, text each other or email each other uh, things that will be encouraging. Uh, let's build each other up. So let's redeem the time. These are unique days. I, I know we, we have that, that feeling that this is not likely ever to be repeated. Uh, we hope not anyway. Um, but these are unique times. And also let's remember that there are people around us who don't know the Lord. And let's mm -hmm. pray that God would actually give us opportunities to talk to people about the brevity of life and about our Savior. Uh, next week, we're celebrating, a week from Sunday, we're celebrating uh, Resurrection Sunday, what mm. we call Easter Sunday sometimes. We're gonna celebrate that a week from Sunday. So we can celebrate that right now. So let's just be filled with joy and store up treasure in heaven and redeem the time. 
to that end, Andy, would you pray for us yeah. as we consider how we can do that yes. even in these days? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the time we've had to go through some scriptures today that show that we will remember our earthly lives in heaven. I pray that you would help us to um, make the most of the time that we have, these unique um, coronavirus days, COVID-19, that we can, we can be prayerful. We can be praying for brothers and sisters, uh, people that are sick, people that are in the medical community that are, are serving. Uh, and also pray for lost uh, family members, neighbors, co-workers, people we know in our community, that we would be a light shining in a dark place and point them to Christ. And we pray in His name and for His glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.